Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hold on. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the BlackScienceFictionSociety.com website. I'm your host, William Hayashi. I have too many accolades behind my name to even go into that, but <laughs> I'm not that important. Our special guest today is Tim Fielder, uh, you know, pretty pretty decent man about town. He's, uh, he's the brains behind uh, the Maddie's Rocket universe. And apparently, you know, with his twin brother, sometimes they masquerade as each other. And uh, we're going get to a, get a little bit better view of him uh, and, and find out more about this, uh, this amazing talent. And uh, we might as well just get started. So welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you, sir. How's it, how are you guys doing? It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Now, where are you coming to us from tonight? Uh, I am uh, based in Harlem, uh, New York City, uh, living here with my wife and my children in uh, what what we classify as now rapidly gentrifying Harlem, New York. Oh, you're you're seeing it happen right uh, uh, right in front of your eyes, right? Oh yes, oh yes. When you get a a a uh, a, a high end French African bistro uh, restaurant on the corner of 139th Street. And Lenox Avenue, uh, you know things are changing. Yeah, see, for us, it's if we get a Starbucks or a CVS uh, pharmacy. Um, so it's <laughs> it's a little. You're a lot more upscale than we are in some uh, of the neighborhoods the, well, here. The Starbucks hasn't come in yet. The Starbucks maybe another year, but they're getting a the whole oh, okay. down on 125th. So what they call a whole paycheck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that's we. They actually put one of those. In they're putting one of those in Inglewood, which is Chicago's poorest neighborhood, and and people would said to uh, the Whole Foods people, you know what, what the hell is going on? You know your your prices are unbelievable, and they said, well we're going to adjust our prices for the neighborhood, and you know mm-hmm. what that means? That just means a whole lot of white folks are going to start driving to Inglewood to try to get cheaper prices on their Whole Foods stuff. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. not. I don't know if I'm down with that. I don't know what that's going to turn out to be. But, uh, hey, look, you know, gentrification is what happens when, when people have money and people want to live around money. So, I mean, what are we going to do about that? Probably not much. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, being in Harlem has, has been an experience and uh, been uh-huh. here off and on over the last 20 years. So it's been interesting to see where it was in the 80s to where it is now. Right. Um, so if you were going to describe to the people out there what your primary vocation is, um, at least in the creative side, uh, would you consider yourself like an artist, an author, a combination of both? Um, what do you, uh, you know, how, how do you see yourself? Uh, since December of 2014, well, actually November uh, of 2014, I am now a professional publisher. Uh, and as a publisher, I, uh, as you guys know, who you also, or you know, you guys are publishers as well. 
you're responsible for everything. You're responsible for, <laughs> the, oh, you know, in my case, I'm responsible for the art. I'm responsible for a bit of the editing. And uh, Hannibal uh, Taboo just graciously uh, called a, ta- a, a typo in one of my uh, in my book, uh, which mm-hmm. I didn't even catch. Uh, uh, um, I and, I am and it's all Yes, yes. Uh, now I have help. I, I will admit that uh, my family has been uh, extraordinarily supportive, uh, particularly my wife, who is, you know, I lucked out uh, in that I got one of those sisters who, who actually gets excited about wanting to cosplay Maddie, which is 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 is, is highly unusual, you know. So it's like that that scene out of Ali when uh, when uh, Jamie Fox goes up to the couch and says, "Yo, man." How you do that? So it was, it was definitely that situation. So she's been with me, uh, been married now for about uh, a year and a half, but together for about three years, and it's been wonderful being with her. So uh, that's a lot of help. My son's help. Uh, my twin brother obviously helps, which you know I guess we'll talk about a little bit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 very much a. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm the focus of it, but it's been a family operation, and I have some good folks around me. And and you have been married for a year, man. That's I mean, that's great because you know they said it wouldn't last. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, said, I, think, I think you proved them wrong. A year and a half, you know, <laughs> had to go through the pre cana and all that type of stuff because you know my my wife is a a, a, a pretty. Uh, uh, you know, well, I wouldn't call her necessarily devout, but she's devout enough as a Catholic. So. Yeah, and, and you know what? The, the, and the best, the best of us can hope to mm-hmm. marry way over the end of our skis. You know what I mean? Yes. To, to get yes. somebody who is so much better than we deserve in our own minds. Yes. But you know, it, but I mean, and I think that helps keep us on our toes to try to be straight, to try to, to try to do better and things like that. So, I mean, we'll 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 revisit this uh, ten years down the line and see how things are going. Sure. Let, let me ask you. Yeah. Uh, let me tell people a little bit about you. You're you're like the animation director for um, the group. Now, are you a group or an organization called Big Head Scientists? Or well, well describe Big Head uh, Scientists to us. All right, Big Head Scientist is the name of my studio. Uh, it has, okay. at points, uh, been other folks who I brought in to help me work on film projects. But right. 95% of it, 90 to 95% of it has always been just me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I give myself that name. Now, the company that I formed late last year is called Diesel Funk Studios, and that mm-hmm. is a new entity that um that you know handles uh publishing of my books but also handles the publishing of other books that I'm affiliated with collaborations if there's an artist that I intend to start branching out as the year goes on uh you know definitely more heavily into next year where I begin to I want to begin to enter into the range and to arrangements with other artists well, I like okay, that's my other work. Yeah, and for people who are picking us up at a, as a podcast and don't see the links, um, mm-hmm. take a look at Maddie's Rocket, M-A-T-T-Y-S, rocket.com. Um, is that your main site for the creative side of what you're doing for Diesel Funk? Uh, the main site would be dieselfunk.com. 
Uh, okay, diesel, uh, yeah, I see that now. Yeah, diesel funk, yeah. and it's D. And for those of you who are spelling impaired, it's D I E, <laughs> not E I. D I E S E L F U N K dot com. Um, and then, of course, the you know your your uh, the Maddie's Rocket site is the one that I just gave. Yeah, um, MaddiesRocket.com. Yep. Right. Let me let's go back a little bit because you know people are always interested in how, you know how you got where you where you are. And you know a lot of them are you know they want to hear about the mechanics of maybe doing business but but for you when did you start as a creative knowing that this was something that you wanted to do? Uh well how you know they're different you? I I'm 48. No 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 I said how old were you when you were like you know, let's let, let's take let's start from the beginning. You know, when, okay, when you saw I, yourself as a creative. Sure. About when was that? Okay. Well, I was uh, born and raised in Mississippi, and uh-huh. I started drawing comics. I guess when I was two, two three years old, uh, and that was primarily because I'm the youngest out of four boys. And uh-huh. all of them did comics. So, you know, you're the youngest, you know. It's like you, you don't have much of a choice as to what you're going to do in your past not because everybody else is doing the same thing. Right. Uh, and as a result, even to this day, everybody is an artist. None of my siblings turn out to be athletes or, you know, you know, uh, you know, transit workers. They're all, you know, uh, are artists. Uh, and I probably trained... I didn't formally train till I got to college, but everything else was, you know, a heavy diet of Marvel and DC comics, uh, and a huge, huge helping of of a heavy metal magazine with Mobius and Inky Bilal mm-hmm. and all oh, those yeah. artists. It had a tremendous effect. You know, that was the stuff we had to sneak in the drawer <laughs> to see, you know, go, oh, your brother, my my brother would kill us, so we had to sneak in and and, and read the books. But uh, that. Uh, also uh, had an interesting relationship uh, coming up uh, in Clarksville, Mississippi, which is where I'm from. They actually, there was a point where they didn't sell comics. And I don't think there, there may not be a comic venue there even now to this day. And uh, But I guess I'll check on that this summer. But um, the How idea... How big is the place, is it? I mean, what's the well, population? Clark, Clarksdale, I, 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 I've been there sporadically over the last 10 years. Uh, I would imagine can't be over 10,000 people, probably okay, less yeah. at this point. Yeah. You know, because uh, it's a very, very small town. It's right smack in the middle of uh, the Mississippi Delta in between Tunica and, uh, you know, different other places. It's the Mississippi Delta, not Mud Cotton, that's all that's there. Okay. Um, and... Uh, so I did that, but I'm the same type of kid that, you know, myself and my brother, uh, uh, we, you know, saw Star Wars, and myself, I went ape over it, and that changed my life. So things began to segue from strictly comics into concept design. So I still have my original art of Star Wars purchased back in 1979. Uh, uh, that has, that's, that's, you know, looking at Ralph McQuarrie's drawings, John Barry, uh, 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 Joe Johnson, who most people don't realize, before he became the director of, you know, uh, the Rocketeer and Captain America, Captain America: First Avenger, this guy is this brilliant uh, concept designer uh, mm-hmm. who worked, uh, for Lucasfilm for many years. So these guys had a heavy influence on my work, 
and, and you know, people like Pedro Bell and Overton Law with the whole P-Funk thing. So that, Kirby, Mobius, all those things fused together so that by the time I'm in high school, I took the cartooning thing more serious. Uh, you know, but, of course, you know, there was a lot of shame behind being a comic book artist in the Delta because, you know, oh, oh you're, you're a comic book, comic book artist. You are, you know, you're not serious. You're, you're immature, that type of thing. Very yeah, why can't, you pick a, why can't you pick a job where you can make some money? How many times do people hear that? You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, uh, so ultimately I graduated from high school, went to Jackson State, and for about a year, year and a half studied commercial art, but then okay. I realized that, that that's just not what I was supposed to do. So I ended up leaving Jackson State and going to SVA uh, in New York City, uh, majoring uh, for about half a semester in the cartooning programs. Mm -hmm. And uh, because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a comic book artist. So I was actually working in the industry while I was in college. So I was an editorial cartoonist, uh, one of the freelance editorial cartoonists for the Village Voice. So I did that for a few years. Uh, This is like 87. And by the time 88, 89 rolled around, I had my first professional comic book job working with uh, Eclipse Comics uh, on the Joyce Brabner, you know, a project that was never, not, you know, which would be a recurring thing until recently uh, right. with a project that, that was never published. Yeah, yeah, but, but in, in all of that time, it sounds as though not only were you moving upward, but you were also... I mean, I would guess that you had to be refining your art and still working on it and, 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 and maybe even finding your own style. I mean, it, it seems like everybody, you know, we're sort of close. Well, no, we're not that close in age. But, but people of at least our generation, mm-hmm. obviously they started out with Marvel, you know, DC. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else was there? Um, I, you know, I hate to tell people how old, but, you know, I remember when uh, the, the comic books were like 12 cents. Oh, I remember um, that. I remember that. Yeah. I mean, so keep in mind, my my older brother. You know, yeah, they, he had that stuff. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. What you were saying. Hello? But, I mean, I'm I'm just curious when you started. I mean, when did you start solidifying your own style and and you know your own whatever sub universes mm. or even universes, creative universes? Wow. About how old were you when you started doing that? Wow. Uh. Wow. That's a <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I would have to say the present uh, 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 path I've been on now started back in the in the eighties because you know before th- th- that period everything was pretty much you know uh, initially it was a Marvel DC type thing it stayed that way for a little bit and then it transitioned right. into everything was Star Wars Ron Cobb that type of thing but. Right. But I remember specifically sitting down with Julie Dash, uh, uh, who asked me to do some concept designs for this film she wanted to do, uh, where it was a romance in which all of the buildings were African sculptures. And, And, you know, as a concept designer, part of what your job is to do is to research and as you research, it's not just that you're doing visual research, you're doing written research. You, you, you're studying how things are put together. And that one experience completely changed my life. Uh, 
uh, because then I began to segue into merging African-based religions like Yoruba religion into science fiction. So what began to happen is that I began to take science fiction imagery and fusing mm-hmm. it with African-based religion. So uh, that came into the whole black metropolis concept that I've right. been working on for about 30 years. And uh, so I, 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 you know, before that, it was, it was uh, before we had a name for it as Afrofuturist, that's what I was. Right. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I just didn't know what to call it. Well, I mean, a lot of artists had the imaginings of of the the art style. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 the cool thing is, I mean, look how early you kind of glommed onto what, like you said, what has turned into it and is commonly accepted as Afrofuturism at this point. You know, right. uh, that's man, that's almost thirty years ago, dude. Yeah, yeah, Almost. and, and I'm, yeah, no, it was. I, I'm old now. So, well, yeah. no, I mean, but but you know, oh, no, okay. no, 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 that's you're I mean, right. You're right. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's thirty years of creativity. I mean, most of the people who we talk to about creating their comics, you know, uh, they're they're of two, almost two separate generations. There's people who are, you know, of our generation. And then there's there's a younger, you know, like the between twenty and thirty set, you know, who who, yeah. who may who may they're lucky because they get to see more than Marvel and DC, which we did not at that. So well, I mean, okay, I don't know who Archie was with or you know that sort of thing, but that's not <laughs> what drove us drove our creativity. Um, okay, so when when you're you're looking at that. You know, you're coming. You're you're actually working in school, doing the thing that it sounds like you wanted to do. Um, yeah. How 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 was that? I mean, was that fulfilling for you? I would imagine it should be. Even though you're working for somebody else, you're still working in the field. Um, well, it, you know, it was an interesting time because because you know, in the in the late '80s to the '90s and stuff. Uh, a huge chunk of the 90s, you know, the, the comic book industry went through, by the time the mid-90s, 96, 97 rolled around, uh, most people don't remember that Marvel declared bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, myself, along with a bunch of other guys, all of us were washed out. So because, you know, I had reached that pinnacle of, of working for Marvel and I was doing painted graphic novels. So I came in uh in the industry you know at an interesting time but you know the industry could not sustain itself in in its present form at that time right so uh uh i guess i should say that i was on the last butt end of the analog era of cartooning I was just going to uh, ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 really what it was. I was the last generation of cartoonists to come in in the mainstream comic book industry, right? Uh, just before the crash, which was devastating. There were people who were in the industry who haven't been in the industry since then. And again, for myself, you know, I've only been back in the comic book industry for the last what year. You mm-hmm. know, uh, this is after a fifteen-year hiatus. And uh, because once the industry crashed, I had to make a decision whether I was going to go into live action film or animation. And I chose animation. 
and I uh, was spent a very brief stint in video game design, which was not mm-hmm. a very pleasurable experience, but I learned so much technically. Uh, and um, been teaching a whole lot. Used to feel really weird about teaching, um, but realized that it is such a fulfilling part of, of what I do, and it's how I learn uh, mo- much of what it is I do. But, right. uh, I, but so I did animation and, and teaching and raised my family. That's, that's basically what I've been doing. And well, when uh, you were, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's what I did. That's what I, that's what I did for a very long time, what you were saying. Well, when you were teaching, um, were you teaching uh, younger people or, or people who wanted to get into the industry who were older? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it fluctuated. My experiences, I have gone, I have taught the gamut of ages. Okay. I've taught folks, adults, uh, continuing ed. I've worked for NYU. I've worked for SVA. I work for so many different facilities. In fact, now for the last three, three going on four years, now, I've been working for New York Film Academy. Okay. And I'm a storyboard. I am their storyboard instructor there. So I teach all of the live action filmmakers how to do story, how to tell stories visually uh, to prep them for, uh, you know, doing their films. And you uh, come to Chicago here and, and teach some of these people I have to work with about the importance of storyboards. Because some people don't have the sense of a house plant, man. You know, they want well, they want to make movies, and you know, how, how well, do you convey your design, your your you know your uh, production design, and things like that, without being able to show it visually? I've always had well, a problem with people who couldn't do that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. You're right. It's just that uh, many live action filmmakers have very limited drawing skills. So actually, when I teach my storyboarding classes, I am not so keen on them being able to draw well because that's a different skill set. To be right. to, to to draw like Rembrandt, that requires decades, oh, you know, sure. of of training to get that good. So because filmmakers are working in a light capturing medium, mm-hmm. you know, all they need to do is just the bare essence stick figures will be perfectly fine. And, sure. and, you know, uh, so when I'm teaching uh, my students, and I guess I can call my students, I'm literally trying to purge them from the um, self-flogging that they drop into to say that they can't, that they can't uh, uh, draw, that type of thing, and getting them to learn about cameras, camera angles, compositions, uh, uh transitions between one story element to the next. And that's essentially mm-hmm. what I'm doing when I'm teaching storyboarding, teaching them how to tell a visual narrative, how to take a written narrative and translate it into a visual narrative. That's that's really sure. what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if anyone's seen uh, the storyboards that Scorsese did for Taxi Driver. They are awful, but, man, are they clear. And uh, that's you know, Taxi Driver is you know is is a, is a brilliant movie at least from my estimation. It is. Mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, they, they you know he had boards and they're great. Uh, go on YouTube and take a look at that stuff. It's really great to see how this guy, even at that younger age, had such mastery over how to tell a story. Mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's the thing he's he's really really good at it. Yep. So what was it that turned you off about? 
you know, doing game design and, and that kind of work? Was it, well, you tell us. Well, uh, for me, I, I call it a bad egg, bad egg, I have to say. Uh, you know, I don't think gaming in general is bad. You know, I, I own an Xbox One. I don't play games. My sons play games. So I have a deep respect for the technical process. Sure. of how games are made because, it's, it, you know, technically it's not that different from 3D animation film. And that's part of one of the things I do at NYFA, uh, New York Film Academy, is I teach not only story, but I also teach character, concept, design, all that stuff to, to the animation students. So, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, you know, games are lovely in that way. It's, it's uh, corporate structure. I hated it. Uh, and uh, okay. it, was, it was enough to turn me away from it. So, you know, I still occasionally do things. Uh, like right now, I'm kind of sort of uh, tweaking around with gaming stuff. Uh, uh, I won't mention what it is because uh, the guy who I'm working with uh, doesn't like to announce anything. Uh, no, no, that's okay. Uh, yeah, no, that's yeah, fine. But, uh, but uh, it's something I'm working on something now that, that hopefully will turn it to the and that's far as beautiful stuff that, that we're doing I think. Well yeah. and, and the other thing might be, you know, there's been some time passed, you you're not in that bad situation, but but being able to use your artistic talents in an area that at first turned you off, but now you're kind of it's you know, it appears that you're in a different place. You have you have more control, you have more yeah. experience, you have a body of work, which I think is the most important thing because that's how people judge you, you know, by your body of work. If they don't judge you by your body of work, then, hey, they deserve what they get. Not specifically with you, but with somebody who may not know what the hell they're doing. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But I, I'm going to say this one thing. Uh, okay. I did animation for a long time, and I was uh -huh. horrible at it. So one <laughs> thing I would say, I was great at design. I'm a fantastic concept designer. I'm a pretty uh -huh. good illustrator. But as a making characters move, it is something that I I, I am not as good as I could be. Uh, yeah. And, and I love the art form. But I have to say to you that coming back to comics, oh, my mm -hmm. God, it's so much easier. <laughs> it's like well, I was gonna, technically. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, look at the tools that you have today, both for, for illustrating and even for animating, you know, um, that they give you, I would say that the tools are sophisticated enough that what they give you is a much better platform for you to um, examine your creativity rather than have to work at the physicality of of, of the animation. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I can't imagine anybody but somebody who who had a very very well focused mind doing doing the kind of Disney animation way back when where you're going cell by cell by cell by cell. Um, yeah. When you, when, you, when you draw now, I, I presume you're working all digitally. Is that correct? Yeah, I long ago gave up paper. You know, I, I've been digital since, uh, ooh, I think, my first tablet I purchased in like 1996 or something like that. It's been a long, long time since I worked primarily on paper. I, I mean, I occasionally do stuff just sketching, you know. Quick and uh, dirty. But, yeah, quick and dirty sketches. It's not even – it's so little, I wouldn't even call it dirty now. It's just quick. <laughs> you know, it's just quick. You know, it, it's like uh -huh. I, am, I am a 98% digital artist. 
And sure. uh, there are people, of course, who work on paper and they, they work on canvas and they work with, with chemical-based tools and, and they do wonderful work and you know, all the power to them. It's just for me, it's, 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 you know, when you're working in comics, you're working in a field that's based on reproduction. Sure. Uh, it's all about, okay, if you work large, yeah, you're working large, but ultimately this work is going to be reduced down into a smaller mm-hmm. format and then reproduced over and over again. So uh, I, I've, I've learned not to be so precious about the original artwork because that doesn't matter. I mean, it matters if a person is doing painting and part of how they make their living is not only to sell the comics, but they sell originals. And that's something perhaps, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I go by these conventions now, and these guys are doing the sketches, and they're making money off the sketches, and that's something that maybe I'll toy with. But uh, right now, digital for me allows me to take the plethora of skills that I got from animation and apply them to comics. And mm-hmm. uh, it is... It is uh, an absolute joy being able. It's like I'm 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 trying to finish up uh, Maddie's Rocket two very soon. Uh, for all those folks who've gotten one and waiting for two, don't worry. I did. I do recognize that the 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 issue ended with a cliffhanger. <laughs> don't worry, it will be resolved. That's why it is based on 1930 serials. So it's supposed to end with a cliffhanger. You know. Uh, you, but, uh, I was I was about to call you a content whore. Drawing people yes. in like that, getting them hooked, yeah. and then, yeah. But you know what? That Actually, that just makes good business sense. And you know what? If you do it well, it's, it's still good storytelling because then people can rehash where you may be going because they right. won't know until they see the second one. So that's kind right. of cool to watch that process too. Yes, yes. I mean, there's so many different ways of, you know, and being a storyboard artist and a concept designer, I'm approaching uh, uh, Maddie. It's like because originally Maddie was, well, originally Maddie was a comic back in the 90s that I was trying to do. That, you know, and I, you, perhaps one day I'll, I'll, I will very soon display what the original pages look like, which were dramatically not that, they were not that far off than, what you, from, than from what you see now. It's just that it was done completely with ink wash and, Markers and highlights and all that stuff, but now everything is digital. Uh, well, you know but, what? Um, let me let me give you a money making idea. Yes. You know, if you've got all that artwork, you've got the early artwork, you've got your concept stuff. That sounds like a coffee table book, which can generate revenue. Yes, it's called Black Metropolis, and I am actually laying it out now, and we will mm-hmm. hopefully be able to go to press. Hopefully, late late in the year. Uh, what I want to do is have it done early enough to premiere at the Schomburg show, uh, the Black Comic Book Day, in uh, January of 2016. That's, that's, that will be the retrospective of my entire career. There's so much work that I've done that hasn't been seen or, or stuff sure. is, you know, is published in editorial. You see it for one week and then it's gone. So. It's, that's what well, Black Metropolis will be. It's kind of like an encyclopedia of your life because, you know, you, yes. it, it's, a cool, it's a cool way to learn about people like you. And unfortunately, since you started it before I mentioned the idea, I can't claim my 15%. But oh, no. having said that, <laughs> having said that, though, 
you know, those are the kind of books that I like to collect because what they are is a representation of the the entire the the entire artist as well as their their evolution from early to to the current. You know. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the type of thing where what I have learned the hard way over mm-hmm. the years is how important failure is, uh, artistic failure or creative failure is to actually growing into being artistically and creatively successful. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, you know the adage goes that all a success is is just a number of small failures. One after until the other, culminating right. until, until you get it right, and right. that's what that is. So I have learned, even though you know I'm I'm definitely prone to scream at a at a computer screen when the software is not acting right. <laughs> uh, I have learned there's a line in Maddie where uh, 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 where the guy who's interviewing Maddie at the beginning of the story is essentially talking about some technical issues that he's having with the equipment to record her voice because he's giving an interview. And she's saying that innovation is, is you know, problem solving is, is, is part of how you innovate. You know, running mm-hmm. into an obstacle, that, that's actually how you get better. You run into an obstacle, you figure out a way around that. Then you run into another obstacle and you figure out a way around, around you know, a way mm-hmm. around that. Mm-hmm. So right. I kind of had to learn that there are different states of of my, you know, heck, not even just the artistic life, my domestic life, that you mm-hmm. kind of like have to say, yeah, it ain't looking so pretty right now, but we are en route to where we want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And just specifically focusing on the artistic point, you know, uh, I have had to let go so heavily of, uh, of um what others think of my work. I uh, kind of like it. And, you know, it's always there. You know, you always, you know, you feel a little competitive, but you got to, you can't really allow it to color your color, you know, the way you go about your work, you know, because ultimately no one cares. Nobody cares. You know, nobody cares. People are going to go live their lives, however they're going to live them. And mm-hmm. it is super uh, important to me that I have, my work done, particularly now at this point in my life. And, uh, you know, that's, this is what I'm about. This is what, that's why I went all in uh, uh, with Diesel Funk is because mm-hmm. there was, you know, after a few experiences, there was clearly no reason not to go all in. You know, thanks to uh, John Jennings and uh, Stacey Robinson for that, you know, because they, they were pretty much the ones who, you know, uh, push me into doing it. You know, uh, it was a, a guy, all those guys a lot. Yeah. Well, well, okay. So, you know, you mentioned other people's, you know, critiques, their opinions, their reviews, their what have you. Um, and, and of course, you know, what do they say about opinions? They're like uh, buttholes. Everybody's got one, but, yeah. but, but still, you know, since since you are an entrepreneur and what you're trying to do is you're trying to bring a product, you're trying to sell a product, you know, that's coming out of your creativity and trying to find a um, an audience for it. Um, <laughs> what what what's the? Can you walk us through your your own process? 
how you look at other people's critiquing, and even a little bit about your own self-critiquing. Because, you know, sometimes people will say something, like with, with my books, somebody will say something about the story that mm-hmm. I may not have consciously thought about when I was writing the story, but then because somebody focused on it, obviously it meant something, so I want to give it a, a little think, you know, give it some thought before I either dismiss them as really an annoying asshole or if I want to say, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. This, there should be a foundation for something else because of this. Um, how, how do you respond to, right. to the kinds of critique you get? Well, uh, back, say, 10 years ago, uh, uh-huh. it used to color the way I, I went through my day and how I, I operated. Uh, now it does not. And it hasn't done that for, for, for many years now. Now mm-hmm. my focus is about how do I get from point A to point Z in, in the fastest manner possible. So mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. if, you know, and there's always, you know, every, like you say, everybody has a, a butthole. I have one too. You know, uh, I, I, ta- I, you know, even if my ego gets wrapped up into it, I, I have learned that you take that information, you absorb it, and you take what's useful from it. Mm-hmm. And what's mm-hmm. not useful, you just leave it to the side. And it really doesn't even matter. Like I say, I, I was telling some, I had some guys, I forget their names, they were good guys, and, they were asking my advice on how they would do comics and all that. And I just kept telling them, nobody cares. Nobody cares, meaning no one's going to do it for you. You know, and right. ultimately, you're the only person who's, who has the ability to stop you, stop yourself from doing it. So if you only have one person to deal with, ultimately, in the fight, at the end of the day, the only person who's going to determine, other than, you know, getting hit by a drunk driver or, Meteorite or whatever, or yeah, whatever. yeah, exactly. You know, the act of God. I am the right. only person who can stop Maddie's rocket from being produced. Uh huh. And you know, I I found uh, I found myself quite flexible lately. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, and, and you've probably been getting along a lot better with yourself. Yeah, yeah, we, you? we've been getting along. We've been a very very productive relationship lately. You know, <laughs> but uh, so I I, I um, so all of that. To, to suggest that the only voice of criticism that matters to me right now is my own. And right. Also, and I have to, I drill it into my students' heads. Perfection is such a, it's perfection is like eating cold phlegm, man. It's you, it's not worth it. You do the right. best you can. You know you have a minimal standard. Like, I've released stuff, God, 1994, Death Comes in Fourth, great idea, horrible execution, you know, uh, meaning there must be a minimal standard of what you do. And yeah. that you, if you hit that minimal standard, you'll always be good. But you got to hit that minimal standard. Uh, and I, I, I'm very happy with Maddie's Truck. I'm very, very happy with it. I'm very proud of the work I did with it. Uh, I'm proud that I did not completely turn my back uh, to uh, the uh, the roots of animation that are in Maddox Rock. That's why it still maintains that nineteen, you know, nineteen. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, nineteen twenty by ten eighty aspect ratio in the panel. Right. I'm I'm so proud of myself for sticking <clears throat> to my guns with that. 
you know, even if it's, it's, it's different than people are used to reading them in a comic, it's like, well, that's not really what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I am I'm telling a story that's close to me. And, right. And, 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 and as long as you approach that stuff with heart and you approach it uh, with uh, almost like a puzzle, it's like Maddie's Rock, the animation, which was almost killed me, even though I must have done like 20, 30 minutes of it. Uh, right. It, it's like I wanted to retain that solid movie effect, and okay. I had a way to devise <clears throat> solid movie technique as word balloons. And that just came to me one day in a dream. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm loving the the combination of, 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 of subconscious and conscious um, problem solving in the mm-hmm. process of being creative. And, uh, yeah. That's it's 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 been that way. So so that's what I'm saying. It's it's like yeah, the end goal is great. I love the end goal. It was, it was a huge huge deal getting these books. But the process of getting up to the book is important too. And those series of failures, recognizing okay, um, boot camp on the Mac, you know, which is the uh, uh, you know the partition in in the Mac OS where you can load Windows and run 3ds Max. Sure. Uh, you can you can run <laughs> Windows applications, but 3ds Max will crash. So you have mm-hmm. to get a PC. Those are the mm-hmm. type of frustrating things you run into, but they ultimately culminate up into a, a success. And the success will well, be Maddie's Rocket Book too. You know, it's like nobody ever jumped in a car for the very first time and drove perfectly. You know yes. what I mean? You know, yes. it, I think I think entrepreneurship, and I I think especially creativity. Is is a learning process that if you're good, probably never quits. You know what I mean? Right. And then and then the other thing that you mentioned that I think is very important for people who are listening should remember is that you should never ever ever let the perfect take away from the good or even destroy the good. Because um, I I ran into this with my first book. I had like four days to edit it to get it to the publisher so it would be out at a certain time. And, and I, you know, I look at it now, and and there's a lot of things that I would like to re-edit, and and there may be a second edition, there may not, but at some point you have to say, okay, this has to go out the way it is, and like you said, it it doesn't have to be perfect, but it it has to be a very very good representation of your storytelling ability. As um, I have and, and I think and, and I think that's the good that you don't want to discard in the service of the perfect. Is right. that correct? Yes. You know, everything, that, that, that minimal uh, uh, standard is must have heart. It must be true. Uh, and it must be, uh, it must move the story forward, particularly mm-hmm. with what I'm doing. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 you know, whether or not, you know, I, I, you know, man, I should wish I had five more pages to really go deeper into the storyline. Oh, maybe I could cut this or that. Those things are immaterial to the, the full body of, of the work. And, uh, but, you're, you're, looking, you're looking at the major arc and not every single detail along that arc. Some, some sure. detail is necessary to move the arc, but you don't have to get down to the microscopic level in order to sell the macroscopic sure. story. 
Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and a lot of that that process uh can be done <laughs> in research. It's like as mm-hmm. as as I do a, a ton of concept design, you know, it's like geez, I, I think I have the entirety of Maddie's rocket mapped out visually actually in storyboard form, which I'm just taking those images and breaking them into the comic panels. I think all the way up to episode eight. Oh, so okay. issue eight, maybe, and yeah. uh, the the a script that I have is you know sixteen issues in. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I got plenty of material to carry for the next few years, uh, and I feel very very uh, uh, positive about that. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it is it is uh, interesting experience uh, in in being able to self edit but also to uh, allow oneself to be free. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So so the, the editing process is not a, de- a detriment to the creative process at all, is it? It's just, applying, it's just applying internal discipline to make sure that you're telling the story that you want to tell. Yeah, the editing process, which at times can be messy. You know, sometimes it can be messy. Sometimes it can be downright aggravating, you know, uh, uh, but ultimately what it is is that that the process of 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 visual editing uh mm-hmm. written editing is mm-hmm. just it's it's where you're adding what i call uh in the concept design world implied detail and implied detail okay. is where you have an image and those images are detailed but the audience cannot consciously know what that detail is. So let's say you have the surface of a spaceship. You have piping or tubing on the side of a ship, right? In mm-hmm. visual effects, they call them greeblies, right? And they were basically right. bash kits of, of old plastic models and glue them onto the surface. Now, of course, for the people who are making those models, it's just surface detail to provide visual interest. But for the audience member, they're looking at it and saying, oh, this is how that ship works. This ship has some kind of mechanical apparatus within it that I don't quite understand mm-hmm. that allows it to appear <clears throat> to function. And that, and you you do that not only in the written word, but you can also do it in the visual world as well. So things like implied detail, knowing, okay, why is a black woman <laughs> – in this world that looks like Buck Rogers, and how is it that this Buck Rogers slash Flash Gordon world, how does it come to exist? So all mm-hmm. those things that I haven't even shown yet, you know, certain things I will go into, certain things I won't go into. <clears throat> I have actually have a reason for all of them, and it's 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 implied detail. Detail is the it's the process of adding plausibility to your creations. And that's that's, yeah. that's what it is that I'm doing. And and you know one of the things that I see uh, a mistake, and I will say it's a mistake. Now I'm not mm-hmm. the the greatest writer in the world, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. good. But one of the biggest mistakes that I see is people who, when they get into writing, they feel like they have to have, you know, an an expository explanation for every single feature. 
yep. like you know what was what was the ten thousand year <clears throat> history of the Gorgons and and why they hated you know Princess Leia or whatever and and there's so much exposition in there it becomes tedious and it weighs down the story it gets in the way of storytelling and mm-hmm. and to what you're saying you don't have to achieve that level of detail yes you may have to explain some things in a subplot or you may have to have some some passing exposition but but I believe that the telling of the story always seems to be in the forefront of your mind. Right. Um, right. You have to and, be selective and, with and, these things. Yeah, and when and I think that's a perfectly good example of the you know, the detail on a spaceship. You know, we find out, okay, in uh uh, you know, in the Star Trek movie they actually used a piece of a Klingon uh model, you know, mm-hmm. a, a styrene model to, as as a piece of medical equipment. Well nobody on this side of the screen needs to know that. Right. But the fact that Bones was holding it in his hand was exposition enough. We knew it right. was a medical device, and we didn't need to know how the damn thing worked. Right. So I, I, I understand what you mean about that level of detail to give, to give it's like seasoning or, or the decoration on top of the cake. You know, that's all sugary crap, and it's the cake that's really important but it it does help the cohesive whole and and allows people to suspend disbelief because it is part of the storytelling right right and 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 you're making uh, at least in my case I can't speak for anyone else what I'm doing right. is I'm making uh, uh aesthetic choices uh particularly when it comes to Maddie's rocket mm-hmm. that ultimately I want to move the story narrative narratively forward for the audience but ultimately, it's got to be cool to me. I gotta like it, you know. Right. You know what I mean? That, that's because I'm really making this book. In the final analysis, I'm making it for a bunch of people. But it, but in that real true spirit, it is for me. It's a book that I want to see. I I'm making a book that I would buy. That's that's the objective for me. Well, and and there there's nothing wrong with self satisfaction as a creative. You know, nothing at all. You know, it's not like you have to be sitting there in the service of your audience and, and, be, and to be trapped in it, you know, to be chained down by it. You know, there's nothing to say that you can't enjoy your own storytelling. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, will, have to, I will say, though, uh, being back in the comic book industry, uh, it is an absolute privilege. I mean, I had 500 copies of Maddie's Rocket in January, and now I'm down to... You know, I had to give a few of them away for for promotion and and things like that. You know, you know, professional courtesy, that type of thing. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm down to what seventy, maybe. Mm-hmm. And you know, we got to go back to press for another run. And you know, that's a tremendous feeling. That yes, is a tremendous is. feeling having someone young, old come <laughs> up to you and just buy your book. And and, and they're not they're not doing what you want them to do, they're bringing their own opinion to it. And they, 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 they paid you money for it, for one thing, but they, they're they getting something out of it. I, I always go back to uh, I had numerous great experiences uh, over the last few months selling Maddie, but the most interesting uh, was an older white woman who came up to me at the Black Comics, Comics Art, Arts Festival in San Francisco I guess she had to be 
75, 80 years old, and this woman came up to me and thanked me, and I was like, oh, well, you're welcome, of course. And I was thinking, uh, what am I, what am I, uh, <laughs> you know, what, 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 did, what did I do? She said, mm-hmm. your character has clothes on. She is a female character, and she has clothes on. And mm-hmm. that was something that, you know, of, of course I wanted to have clothes on, but I'm recognizing that that was such a huge deal for her, and it has been repeatedly a huge deal for um, for um, for women, for the, the female audience, that people uh, can go there and kind of like see a – a true, a truer representation of themselves, which is what Maddie, who Maddie's supposed to be, she is an amalgam of, of, of different women that I know, you know, uh, and and uh, uh, yeah, that's 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 that was the objective to be able to artistically impart that in the audience and hope they get it, and that's why it seems like they are. Yeah, I, you know, I have a personal proclivity about the way women are depicted, especially black women are depicted in a lot of these comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the ridiculousness of a costume, you know, where a warrior has most of her skin showing, you know, aside. I mean, if, if you're going to go out there and wade out there with a sword or whatever you're going to do, somehow I don't see you putting on, uh, putting on you know, a string bikini to go out and do battle. And, yeah, it's and not so very I'm, tactical. It, it, it doesn't seem to be, no. And the other thing is, how the hell do they stand up with breasts that weigh as much, well, whatever they weigh? I mean, and so it's funny because the, the drawings are of a, a stereotypical bent, which I don't think adds to the story. And, and from what you're telling us, you know, there's a certain amount of feedback that you've already gotten that depicting women in a realistic light, you know, as realistic, obviously, as a comic book environment is, is something that is appreciated by a certain segment of the audience. Um, and, yeah. and people will say, people will say, oh, but, you know, mostly it's teenage boys who buy this and big breasts are what they like. And, and okay, I, you know, I can't argue that. You know, I don't know the marketing strategy. I certainly don't know the numbers. But... I, I am I am pleased to hear you tell the story that you just told because it seems to validate something that I've been thinking for a while. You know, I don't do comics myself. I have a hard time drawing more than three fingers on one hand, so that's that's obviously not my my forte. Um, hang hang on a second here. You're listening to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the Black Science Fiction Society dot com website. And, and tonight we have a really cool, cool guest, and I want you to check out his website. It's Tim Fielder, and he is the creator of um, Maddie's Rocket, and Maddie is a, a, a female character. Um, and and you, if you want to check out the website, Maddie's Rocket, M-A-T-T-Y-S, rocket.com. And then, of course, his, his other uh, big adventure is... Uh, for Diesel Funk Studios, D-I-E-S-E-L-F-U-N-K Studios. And the, the website is www.dieselfunk.com, so check him out there. Um, let me ask you something about the business side, because, you know, this is the side that a lot of creatives have the, the hardest time with, because, you know, the creative thing is, can be a, a singular or maybe a collaboration, you know, that kind of effort. But then in the, 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 in the service of doing business, 
for you. Um, tell us a little bit about how you started started the the whole entrepreneurial road that you took for Maddie's Rocket. Okay, so so you have the concept. Um, right. You get the art done. You get your. You get. You know. You finally get a a, uh, a a sellable product. And and tell us a little bit about your process for gearing up to sell and, right. and marketing. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. Uh, okay. So uh, I will. Do you want the the relatively brief? Version of you? Well, want no, I mean, we, dude, we got, we got, we got an hour and okay, good. I, six I, I'll minutes. So, all right, take all right. your time. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to run get okay. something to eat. So, no, I'm just okay. kidding. Okay, okay. But, but see, that's you. the interesting part because I call it the eighty twenty rule. Okay, twenty percent of what guys like you and I do is the creative part, right. and the eighty percent is is making it happen. That's the business part. And I think that's the part that most people have trouble with. How do you get visibility? Um, you know, how do you develop a work ethic that allows you to be a businessman? You know, those kinds of things that obviously you've already experienced some success at. So I'm curious about what your process was to, to ramp up and get ready to do what you do. Okay. Uh, so, again, the uh, uh, string of failures leading up to – successes. You know, you have one sure. obstacle, you run into it, that's a failure. But then you overcome that obstacle, that's a success. Then you move to the next obstacle and you keep going. So first of all, as long as you approach it like that and you approach it with a, as best you can, because you can have up days and down days, that's a kind of a zen process of working. So okay, it's just about gradual, you know, as my wife tells me, it's a bunch of small victories that culminate achievable goals. So that's what you did. So okay. uh, I had done Maddie's Rocket as animation. Got a bit of it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but became dismayed every time I would go by a convention because, you know, sure, I would be there and I'd be showing clips of the film and selling T-shirts and everything, but no one would know what it is because it's animation. That's something you can't quantify. Uh unless you put it up on YouTube, but then that's like giving it away, which is fine if you can produce it fast enough, but you can't produce it fast enough. You know, yeah. it's not, in, not the type yeah. of stuff I want to do. It's, it's hard. So uh, last summer I had um, I, I, I'd gone to uh, a Black Kirby show. So Black Kirby is uh, Stacey Robinson and John Jennings and uh, you know, I've been I've struck up a relationship uh, with them uh, for a while now, and you know, I had, uh, you know, I had kind of like been working on Maddie as an animation, and as I began to move into, you know, okay, let me just take a little pastime in comics, just give myself away uh, a little break from the the day to day drudgery of producing Maddie as an animation. And the two crews that I dealt with, one was Black Kirby, and the other is uh, Alex Simmons uh, with uh, his uh, African-American uh, uh, soldier fortune character, Blackjack. And okay. I asked Alex, I said, hey, man, can I, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm just thinking, you know, you know, I love your character, you know, can I do it? And he said, oh, sure. <laughs> and so 
Uh, cut to a year and a half later, you know, we're almost done with the graphic novel, which will be out uh, soon. Uh, mm-hmm. And I did the artwork illustrating his stories. Um, but with Black Kirby, they put the show on at the Schomburg, not the Black Comic Book Day, but they were actually doing a presentation of the Black Kirby uh, mode, I guess, if you will. And I saw all this artwork. And, you know, I, I love their stuff because their stuff is so whimsical and it's, it's very colorful. But it's all, at the same time, it's, it's intentionally deriving a huge chunk of what they do from Jack Kirby's work. That's the whole idea. Uh, uh, and that extends farther beyond that. But the surface material is, is, is where they're taking images that were very often appropriated from African images and mm-hmm. reappropriating them for further African images, that type of thing. And I saw what they were doing, and it was all based on comics. And I got so depressed after that show because I could (laughs) feel it. I could feel it. I was like, oh, my God, I'm about to fail again at this animation. And I remember calling my friend Mark. I said, Mark, I think I'm about to to fail again. He said, what's up? I said, I think I want to do Maddie as a comic. I literally the cover that you see now, yeah, uh, on Maddie's right. It's it's pretty much the same drawing without the refinements in it that I did. It's the first image I produced back in I guess that had to be this time last year I think maybe maybe April May of 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 2014 and um. Uh, decided to do it as a comic and it was the hardest thing and it was like oh my god it was like the life had been returned to me i never forget one of my friends uh uh, uh danny williams told me i was sure i was working on a, a movie i was trying to do and he told me he said tim i'm going to tell you something he said if you don't get this movie done you're going to die creatively and that hit me like oh my god and oh my god did i die creatively <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that was just, we talked about something way back in like 99, 2000 when I was trying to do this. And Maddie's Rocket has brought me back creatively from the dead. There's no question of that. So, well, it, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like it, what it did was the, the change in the art form, okay, the change in the media um, just re-sparked you creatively, Right. The, the delivery vehicle is dramatically easier to create. Right. <laughs> the, 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 the delivery vehicle of comics is dramatically easier to create than animation, and I can still have the same quality level. I don't have to give up what I love about animation right while doing comics you know that was the first temptation uh that that you know dealt with some people who were like well hey look you know this thing here is not working you know you need to just do you need to turn it into a comic right uh which that temptation was there you know i guess an argument to be made i should have done it that way but you know interesting thing when you go and do it on your own you can do whatever you want <laughs> i love that that's true I love well, that that, that is true very very liberating when you when you said, well, I'm the one paying for it. I'll do whatever I want. Well, and, and you don't have it, to satisfy somebody else. You know what I mean? Well, you're not going to satisfy everybody. You're only right. going to ultimately satisfy those people who find something worth viewing in your work 
Right. Uh, but ultimately, I do, and, and you mentioned it earlier, that it, there is a, a huge, huge component that ultimately I'm making a book that I want to see. I don't mm-hmm. want to make a book that I don't want to see. And I'm interested right. in it. I've, I've, I've done that before uh, decades ago. I, I, I never want to do it again. I'm only interested in a book that I can feel proud of, uh, that makes me slower, or that makes me, you know, you know, uh, I don't know. More deliberate Madonna, or, or you know, yeah, uh, whatever, yeah. Madonna, I don't know. It's just that I want to <laughs> do the best work I can because we're only here for a limited period of time. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I also, you know, I have my children. I want my children to be proud of, of what I'm doing, you know, to be able sure. maybe another 30 years, 40 years when I croak, you know, they're like, hey, man, dad, yeah. some great work there, you know. So that's yeah, but the, the other thing is nobody wants to toil in misery, you know. Uh, I have found that I can okay. toil in misery. I can toil in misery. I don't mind but, toilet. I don't mind hard work. I don't mind. Yeah, but do you? But there no, no, no. There's be. a difference. There's a difference between hard work and the service of where you want to go, and and doing stuff that you hate doing just for a paycheck. Well, I can honestly say, knock on wood, and find some wood to knock on here. I don't okay. do that anymore. There's exactly. a difference between uh, toiling. In whether it be artistic jobs or teaching jobs, okay. I now have achieved, don't want to jinx it, a balance between doing work to make ends meet and my creative work. And what started to happen is that they bleed over. And I've, uh-huh. I've learned to, sometimes it's pretty painful, I've learned to let go of certain things like, you know, man, I have this teaching job. This teaching job is great. I want to keep it because it gives me more money, which will in turn give me more time, you know, and then you recognize you have to let that one go and move towards this other thing. And that's that's what this has been a huge, huge exercise in learning when to hold. For you. Yeah. When to hold and when to let go. And uh, that's so I am now at a point in my life where I have a balance. I have to constantly maintain that balance. It's, it, sometimes it's harder, sometimes it's easier, but I, I have a balance between doing my, you know, creative work and doing my making ends meet work, and they both now blend together. So I, I love what I do. I, I have to be honest and say that. I, I love what I do. So when you're asking how do you process how do you get that process? That's the first step for me was that I've always, you know, talked with my friend Mark, was how, you know, the objective was, okay, I want to create a lifestyle which is conducive towards me creating my work. And that's what I did. Now, once I, I did that and did – I'm sorry, go ahead. You were saying. Well, I think that's – I think all, all creatives, I think we all work towards that. You know, sure. if, if, if I could – just be a novelist and not have to get the porn off of one more laptop in my lifetime, right. dude, I'd be the happiest man in the world. I, I literally would. But, you know, I, I'm working toward that. And, and right. I, man, I, I so admire the fact that you've reached that level. Um, yeah, and, because, and it doesn't mean you know, that I'm wealthy. It just means that no. I have a balance. It's yeah. so important to this type of stuff. 
you know, and uh, that's that's what that is. So, so all of that to say, you know, I guess moving further to, towards answer your question, that once I had achieved that and recognized that achieving it is not reaching an end goal because maintaining balance is an ongoing activity. Mm-hmm. Ongoing, so it's it's happening now. You know, right. I might take on one too many classes, may have one too few classes. You know what I mean? That's okay. Always, yeah, no, I get you. Yeah, yeah. So once that was done, and I made the decision to go into publishing, it was all very practical at that point. It was saying, okay, writing down a list. What do I need to do? Okay, the first thing I need to do is I have to have a product. I have to give myself a schedule. Okay, this right. needs to be done by this time, this needs to be done by that time, this needs to be done by that time. And those things were primarily, okay, I'm going to take what I've done for the animation, I'm going to repurpose it in a format within a comic book that I can live with and feel happy with. And I went back and forth. I had different design styles on how I would do it. Well, maybe I should do it this way, maybe I should do it that way. But ultimately, I arrived at something that I can not only live with, but I can feel proud of. Mm-hmm. Other aspects of we're setting up the legal entities. You know, uh, you know, you, you know, legal Zoom's great. You know, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, you, yeah. You do that. You do that. You make sure that is in place. Uh, you make sure that uh, you properly research and also understand that research is ongoing. What your market is, uh, recognizing that okay, whenever you are trying to promote something, you generally want to promote it around an event. Right. Knowing that, okay, um, the, the big event was the Schomburg. The, the Schomburg, at least in my estimation, in my experience, and I have very little experience because I'm really just getting back into this thing. But in my limited experience, the Schomburg's Black Comic Book Day by Jerry Kraft and John Jennings uh, uh, Deidre, all those folks over there at the Schomburg, that, right. that is the premier black comic book convention that I have seen. I mean, okay. Everybody who goes there, it's like, it, you know, uh, everybody, oh, you know, they shake their head. You know, you know, when a person has reached a point of euphoria, when you ask them, how was the Schomburg, man? And they close their eyes and a slight <laughs> smile and they, they kind of look up and it's like, mm, you know, it's like, it's, you know, the, the spirit is starting to hit it and stuff because they, they're doing nothing but selling right. comics in an environment that is prime just for people who want to buy black comics. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and oh my God, I, I, I saw great that weekend because I did, like I said, uh, uh, Black Comic Book Day and BCAF in San Francisco. So anyway, I knew, okay, I wanted to premiere Maddie at, on that date. And, you know, without going into detail, I, 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 you know, I was in certain arrangements that I got out of because, you know, again, no one's going to take what I'm doing as seriously as I'm going to take it. You right. know, and, and no one's obligated take what I'm doing. You know, one's gonna nobody cares. You know? Yeah. So I knew if I was gonna do this, I was gonna have to do it. Nobody else was right. gonna do it. Uh, uh no one else was gonna put the hours in. No one else was going to uh uh, uh to 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 satisfy me. And I, I'm sure. really about satisfying myself at this point. Uh well, and when you've it, got when complete 
you've got complete ownership of of it too. You yes. know, so so that you know, not, not only do you have the personal buy-in, but you know what? It's on you. You know, it's it, this is not something that you could farm out to somebody else. This is on you. And um and, and because you have ownership of it, you know, then then there's that whole obligation to do it exactly the way you want it so it gets done the way you like it, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's that there's that that battle. Uh uh, uh I, I was on a panel discussion at the Black Comic Book Day with uh with a few folks. Uh, Alex was on there uh, as well and we were just talking about equality. You know, apparently okay. there's a huge deal of 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 in black comics uh, the quality may not be as high as other comics. And and you know I, I get what they're saying you know uh, uh, you know having been out of the comic book industry for so long I recognize mm-hmm. there was a lot of stuff that I missed you know from from you know uh, 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 2000 to 2000 you know uh, uh, 14 uh, that I'm glad I missed those things you know in terms of black comics and black cartoonists and things like that. Because it, it seems like it's a painful evolution of, of getting to where you need to go, and right. uh, um, quality is so arbitrary, man. Is I was saying, uh, one of the most popular web comics in the world features a dinosaur drawn in what looks like or appears to be Microsoft Paint. <laughs> okay, and visually, it is awful. But right. it is the most, one of the most successful web comics in creation, meaning that the guy who does it, or guy or guys, whoever it is who does it, they make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Right. So clearly somebody finds that work, the quality Marvel. of that work, completely acceptable. Sure. So that's why we live in a time now uh, where... Quality is will always be important, but you know, I mean, hey, <laughs> you know, it's like Paris Cullens was the one who got me straight on that. We were at uh, tabling at uh, New York Comic Con in uh, in uh, 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 2013, and he was like, "We live in a time where anything can sell, anything can right. sell, anything." He said because of the internet because of technology, because the reach, there is always somebody on the planet who can get into your stuff. Mm-hmm. There's, there will always be people who won't get into it for whatever reason. There, there, will, there is an audience out there. And that yeah, audience, you, for the first time in human history, can be reached through social media. Right. You know. You know. So, yeah, but, uh, but remember, you still have to tell a story. Oh, of you course, know, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The, the base product must be good. So, and I have to say, that was the relatively easy part. As you said, I think, what did you say? 80% of it is all the non-creative stuff. <laughs> you know, the, the 20% of it is making sure that you have a good product, it looks good, it reads good. Uh, people get a, a level of enjoyment out of it. Uh, it has heart, and you like it. Once mm-hmm, those five mm-hmm. categories were struck off, <clears throat> that's pretty easy because I have control over that. 
I right. have control over that. You know, I can just put my heart into it. Boom, it's like I'm, I'm banging out Maddie's Rocket 2 now. It has to be done in the next week or so. Get it out the door. And once it's out the door, then the other part comes in. Okay, we've got to market it. We've got to make sure that we do this. We've got to make sure we do that. And, uh, again, I'm okay with that. I actually don't mind doing social media. You know, uh, uh, you know my wife and I are notorious uh, about posting what we're doing. You know, right. I take sell every time I make a sale. I try to take a selfie of myself, of the person who's doing the sale, and I make my face with whatever it is, and because that's part of how you market your work. That's part of how you get your work out there. And is it shameless? Yes, it's completely and totally shameless. And I wouldn't even. I think that's. I think you're doing yourself a disservice to call it that. Because you know well, what you are? You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're doing entrepreneurial marketing. And entrepreneurial marketing is person-to-person and it's personal. Okay? You know, I, I, know, I know how to sell 20,000 copies of my books. But guess right. what? It, it's going to cost me $13,000 to do that. Is that cost-effective? Absolutely. But where am I going to, you know, I, I'm sitting around, you know, you still have to come up with the $13,000. You know, and, and then that turns me from being the entrepreneurial person to person to to more like the publisher who is just trying to get word out about a new author, you know. And and I think that, that what you do is, is, the way you're doing it obviously is more enduring because the personal touch, you can't, man, I, you can't say enough about being able to meet the people, talk to them, you know, obviously, if they're purchasing your work, they have a buy-in. Mm-hmm. But then imagine how they feel when they they meet you. You know, there there is an intimacy to the the, the value proposition that can't be un, uh, it, it can't be overestimated. So, yeah, you know, like you said, it, I don't think it's shameless. I don't think it's shameless at all. I think it again, it is at the pinnacle of that eighty percent of, you know, being about the business of doing business? How else do you do uh, Yes, yes. I, I'm not, I'm not going to debate with you there. You, you're right. I, I guess the reason why I call this shameless, because yeah. I don't have any shame. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Dude, I, ain't nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah, having a healthy ego as a creative it. is a good thing. I have to do it. I have to do right. it because if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. No one Very else true. is going to sit up there and interface with a person who has read your stuff and has found something in it that even you didn't intend. They just mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. connected with the character, and they need you to talk with them for five minutes. Now, they've right. already bought your comic, but they need to have that feedback. And right. Being a, a, being an artist is about as uh, 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 was it Pascal Campion? I believe his name is. He's an artist. He does these drawings every day. It part of the responsibility of being an artist is releasing out to the public. And mm-hmm. if, uh, uh, you know, I had a very difficult time for long years releasing things <laughs> into the public. You have a responsibility to release it to the public. So right. I knew going in with Maddie as a comic that that was going to come into 
play. I just knew, okay, mm-hmm. if you're going to do it, you want to make sure you do it right or you do mm-hmm. it as big as you can. And I knew, okay, i got to come out with this book. And not only do I need the comics, I need the posters, which I have multiple posters. I need the shirts. So I, I, I invested into infrastructure, all that right. stuff I knew I had to do because that's part of making the company, making Diesel Funk successful. Yeah. And um, I, I, I paid to become an Apple developer so mm-hmm. that I can uh, pay for the software to make the apps to, 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 uh, to release Maddie's Rocket ultimately, hopefully in the next few months, as an app that's not just a page-based app, but also, uh, you know, you can see the images at their full-size screen image with sound, right. you know, and you Interactive. can see it like... Yeah. Yes. That's that's yeah. because you're what you're doing is like an audio book. You're repurposing that material into different formats. And that's why sure. I became a Google developer. Mm-hmm. So all those things play a part. You you go through the process, you get your Don's number, you 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 know, you make sure what you call uh uh, uh Don's and Brad Street that your Don's number is an Apple compliant Don's number. You know, you right. don't want them to just give you a regular Don's number because Apple won't take it. You make sure your 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 LLC and all that stuff is in place. You make sure that uh, uh, you have operating costs to the extent that you can to make sure your books are going to be published. Uh, right. You sufficiently uh, research DRM and DRM-free base formats for releasing your comics. Uh, you build, you make sure your, 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 what is it? Your, your, um, URLs and your domain names are straight. Uh, yeah. I purchased the domain names through GoDaddy, but, and decided, well, hey, I'll try with WordPress, but WordPress kicks my butt. I'm not a programmer. So right. I went back to the old tried and true Tumblr. And now, oh, by the way, did you did you pick up the um, the URL? Oh no, I'm going to tell you this off the air. Okay. There's, some, there's something very very important that you should do. Um, and as as a you know an IT business professional, I definitely want to give you this advice for free because this 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 means a lot. This makes a big difference. But but yeah, I mean everything that you're saying is is what people should pay attention to, especially people sure. starting out, because. Mm-hmm. You know, most of them have no idea what that eighty percent is. You know, they don't right. know that it, it is. It is truly, you know, uh, three quarters of your time is spent in the service of doing business, and right. sometimes it can be daunting. And I think that your your characterization of, you know, even if you have a million failures and the one success, you're still learning how not to do things. You know. Yep. Um, give us a. We got. We got. We still got time. Uh, could you give us a little? You know, give us some of the pitfalls where you ran into. Um, you know, uh, something that was a setback, something that you learned from. You know, because I think it'll be instructive to people to see what your process was. Okay, you're you're going along. You've got this product, and then you tried out X and you learned that that was just not the way to do it. Um, can you give us a couple examples? 
Uh, sure. Uh, I will deal with the business part, and then I'll deal with the creative part. Okay, cool. Uh, one of the one or two of the things I learned from business standpoint is recognizing that not every selling event you go to is going to be ideal. Not is not every day is going to be Black Comic Book Day at Schomburg. That's the thing right. I'm clear on because that okay. Schomburg exists in this kind of anomaly. I, I've not been to BeccaCon or or any of the others. But, I mean, Black Comic Book Day was crazy. Like I say, it was like an episode of The Walking Dead, but the zombies wanted comics. They didn't want to eat humans. They wanted, <laughs> they, they wanted comics. So you had to beat them down, sign quickly, get the rocket ship done, get it, move to the next one very quickly. You know, keep the conversation short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so nice. it's nice to meet you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, next. You know, that's what it was. And it was hours of that. Right, bone crushing, selling, and that's what you want. But some days there may be twenty people there, and you 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 have to accept that this is it's 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 a gradual thing. Sometimes you have big days, sometimes you have small days. However, separate from the selling, every day is an opportunity to market and push yourself. Uh, you have to make sure your phones are charged and that you can take pictures and that you record the events that you're participating in. Uh, banners are hugely important. Go to Staples. Get yourself the eight, the six-foot banner. Make mm-hmm. sure your artwork is easily viewable from a distance. Um, if you can't do it, get someone else to do it for you. Pay them to do it. Uh, get those banners there so you can take it out so when you sell, you look professional. Um, and the average table length, for people who don't know, the average table length at these conventions is a six-foot table. It's a six-foot so it table. Yeah, it fits perfectly. Yeah. So that's that's the thing. And I, I haven't even bought – I have a table spread, but I haven't gotten a table spread with a logo on it because I have mm-hmm. stand-up banners. Uh, because if people are in front of the desk, they're not going to really be able to see that anyway. They're going to see the stand-up banners. That's the way I work it. And uh, it has worked out great. Uh, uh, However, I've also learned, make sure that as you acquire your equipment, that you have, and this seems like the most obvious thing in the world, make sure that you have sufficient luggage to carry your stuff in, to protect it. Uh, I draw digital. So in studio, I use a 21UX Cintiq. And that's my big guy, and I I produce my work on that. But when I'm on the road or I'm teaching, I use a small uh, Cintiq hybrid, uh, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, the same form factor as the 13-inch HD Cintiq, but it allows me to be able to work on the road. So what I do is I hook that to my laptop, and I take my old 13HD, which I have since migrated to my son, but when I'm on the road, I take it with me. And I use that as my table display. So a person can see me drawing right there while they come to the table. So presentation is hugely important. Uh, make sure you have uh, extension cords. Make sure you have battery power. Right. <laughs> so you know, going to a convention and assuming that was one of the first mistakes I ever made uh, going to Ekback last year was assuming, well, they knew I'm, a, I'm an animator, so obviously they're going to provide 
uh, power to electricity. It's like, no, they're not. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. They're not even thinking that way. You have to do it. Uh, So those little annoying things in terms of conducting yourself in uh, uh, during conventions, during selling events, are important. Uh, so from a business point, don't, that's what I would say. I have learned quite a bit of that. Also, uh, I would say making sure this is something that can be tedious, even though I, I've, I'm conditioning myself to do it, being able to consistently blog, updating right. your content. Uh, you have to do it. I do it at least once a week, but ideally mm-hmm. twice a week is best. Uh, uh, you know, recognizing how important it is that you cross-promote. So if you're using Tumblr, they have the ability for you to post to um, Facebook and 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 uh, Twitter at the same time. Uh, so cool. you have to do that. But I'm I'm really looking for software – that would allow me to post from Tumblr, post to Facebook, but also allow me to post to all of the groups I'm a member of on Facebook Mm -hmm. all at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm hoping someone knows how to do it because right now what happens is when I post, I literally go through each group one by one and I post, I share to that to that group. I, I don't post to individuals timelines or things like that. I only post to groups, the groups I'm a right. member of. I don't I don't think Facebook is gonna let that happen unless they charge you for it. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's something maybe and I'm prepared to have I'm looking into that. I'm looking into boosting and saying, okay, if it's ten dollars and they'll allow me to do it, you know, and I pay, you know, five dollars a week, then it might be worth doing that. You know, pay the twenty dollars and you know every time you send that post out, it's going because it's going to reach the maximum amount of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so the business part is recognizing that all these things, both the successes and the failures, are cumulative, and right. that you, as you learn something, okay, ah, I should bring power. Ah, I should uh, make sure that I double check everything. Ah, I should bring something to eat. You know, I, I should energy bars. Those those right. are simple things. That you that you learn over time, uh, so that's the business aspect of things. On the creative, um, I'm still working progress in that area. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. learning not to overtax myself with too many obligations. Uh, right now, my primary obligations are Maddie's Rocket and Blackjack. Sure. Uh, and and uh, you know that's we just uh, Alex and I. Just did. We were supposed to have done it with Chris or Ryan, but Chris got held up a little bit. But we were doing Blackjack Live, where Alex was 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 doing a fairly convincing uh, a portrayal of an Irish uh, old Irish white guy. Even though Alex is a is a middle aged black man, he did pretty good. Yeah, he did it pretty good. And so I'm draw, yeah. drawing live with him. <clears throat> He's doing it. So these are marketing selling events. Uh, that really culminated in his book being carried in Jim Hanley's universe <laughs> and my book. So Maddie's Rocket can now be purchased in Jim Hanley's uh, universe. Uh, it can be purchased in Burger Street Comics, Joe Koch's comic book warehouse. And we've got another one, big, big, big one coming up. Uh, but I, mm-hmm. I'm not at liberty to speak on that just yet. But after Maddie's Rocket, too, we'll, we'll announce that one. Sure. So, 
a business part, that's what it is. Creatively, um, pacing, uh, making sure that, I'm going to say this is going to sound really weird, but um, it's like I want my book available for, for certain events, and I will move heaven and earth to do that. But knowing that if you're not ready, you're just not right. ready. Right. Knowing when to say this is not ready. I want it to be ready, but it's not ready. Right. Uh, knowing when uh, 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 that it is. My, my my brother told me long ago that life is physical, and I never understood it. Uh, but what he means is that opportunities that you think come up at one point in your life will inevitably come up again if you live long enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. It's, 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 it's knowing that, you know, it's okay to screw up because you'll get another chance to make it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, other than that, visually putting the time in, uh, also recognizing that uh, it's all a work in progress, and it takes time right. to get there, uh, and not to punish yourself for not moving faster or moving right. more diligently. It's recognizing that it's, it's, it's you, you don't want feature uh, creep, if you will, but you do want, uh, because you want to be able to, to start on an aspect or a feature of some project and ultimately finish it and move on to the next. But it's also recognizing that that's part of the process. You know? Yeah. So did that answer your question? I, well, I, you know, I, I think so because, you know, when you explain your process, mm-hmm. you know, people, people who may not be at your level may not have mm-hmm. your experience, you know, you, okay. you, do be, you do give them insight. And here's the thing that I, I was going to not say, but I am going to say it. For everybody mm-hmm. out there who has a web domain, okay, who has a domain out there, and you have, you have your identity invested in that domain, you should really think about buying one more domain name, and that is your domain name dot sucks. Okay, because that domain is available now. So, like Al mentioned, that all he in, in the chat room, all he needs is uh, is alhobby dot uh, dot com. And uh, what if somebody who doesn't like Al gets alhobby dot sucks? You see what I'm saying? Dot s u x. S no S U C K S. Those just became available. Taylor Swift had already bought hers. She doesn't want somebody grabbing Taylor Swift sucks dot com or Taylor oh, wow. Swift dot sucks. You know, so I would I would advise everybody to take a look at that to pay attention I've never heard to of what that. they're. Wow. Well, it, it just it, they just came available. Okay. Wow. And of course, the big companies got got to jump in ahead, like Microsoft. Dot sucks. You know, all of them, the people who have, you know, these these who have invested a lot in their domain identity. Right. Right. Um, got in ahead. Who had a lot of money got in ahead of time. But my recommendation to anybody, and you know, there's going to be people out there who are going to say, "Oh man, I'm not worried about that." You know, blah 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 blah. And I'm going pay the fourteen damn dollars and grab it and shut the hell up because you know what right. you don't know what you're talking about. I've been in the IT industry since 1970. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not much I don't know about it. And and I remember the first when the domains first came available and people would 
they would pick up a domain for a big company that didn't have theirs, and they would park it, and they would sit on it so that they could make some money. I think right. the funniest example of that right now is TedCruz.com. You know that uh, little weasel senator guy? No, okay. Ted Cruz? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He did he he's he's running for president and he didn't get tedcruz.com. If you go to tedcruz.com right now, there's a banner there saying support the uh the uh, affordable care act and support wow. president Obama. Well, so, he supported you know, it. He just joined. he just got Obamacare the other day. He just signed up for it. Yeah, well, he did. And and you know what? <laughs> he, he he he's got he's got no chance of being president anyway. Oh, yeah, I of course it's, not. Yeah. It's it's highly hilarious that these people, these conservatives who think they're so damn smart are really some of the dumbest people in our country. They really are. So anyway, go pick up your dot sucks domain like okay. uh let's say for example like black science fiction society dot sucks. Right. I think somebody would want to get a hold get hold of that so that somebody else doesn't get hold of that. Same thing for right. your domain. I'm going to do the same thing for mine over the weekend. Um, right. I just have to slip the ankle bracelet off, go rob some people so I can go pay for some domains. Right. Um, but, well, I, but I go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I will say, you know, with the domain name thing, I I, I actually was very fortunate with mine um, because uh-huh. the name of my it's just simply dieselfunk.com. Uh, and I guess it was like a year or so ago. You know, diesel funk is a, is a genre of, of 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 work. It's like cyberpunk. You know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, steampunk, steampunk, <clears throat> cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. And when I saw but it, you, I was like, "You well, had, I, you I, had I, the I foresight." Well, I, you know, I, 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 you know. Can't say that. I can't say that. I was like, well, you know, I <laughs> you got, got lucky. For a company. I need a name for a company. Uh, man, Diesel Funk. I've always loved that name. You know, yeah. Let me just go online and see if it's available. You know, and oh my God, it's available. So it took mm-hmm. thirty seconds to buy. I don't know. I'm getting right. it right now, and that's great. So I will have Diesel Funk forever. You know, exactly. that's what it is. That's that's what it is. You know, um, and it works. It works. It works. I love it. It's easy to remember. Uh, it's a hot name. I love my logo. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the wings and stuff, and that's it, like an owl head. And um, it is. It is. It's those type of things in terms of these things. It's like a lot of times it's very hard to go through a niche part or try to go something. But once you get past that part, it becomes dramatically easier. You know, once you have a graphic that serves your company well, you can print it, release it on anything. And that, that right. works really, really well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, uh, it, it, it has been an interesting run. Um, you know, uh, Maddie's Rocket, of course, is, you know, retro Afrofuturism. And, um, you know, I, I guess I should tell you how it, the genesis of it, um, you know, my, my dad is almost 81 and my mom, uh, she's, she's going to be 70, I think 78 this year, 77 or 78, I forget. But these folks grew up in a time there was no L- Lieutenant Uhura or Black Boomer on Battlestar Galactica or any of that. They, right. they grew up not seeing themselves 
uh, pretty much at all in terms of any kind of movie thing. You know, it wasn't TV when they were young. But when they went to a movie house, they didn't see themselves. Or if they did, they saw themselves in some kind of blackface. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. And so this idea behind Maddie's Rocket, beyond the fact that I want to produce the book so my dad and my mom could see it and people of that generation, right? uh, you know, my late uh, Myrna Bain and Pat Robinson, who were my mentors, I wanted to produce a book that if Oscar Michelle made a science fiction movie mm-hmm. and he cast the movie, he, he made a science fiction movie and he casted Lena Horne in the main role, what would it look like? And right. that's what I wanted to do with Maddie Rocket. I, I wanted I want people to uh, the, the 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 beauty of of, of Afrofuturism is you can go forward or back. You can do anything mm-hmm. with it. And you know a lot of Afrofuturism, like there's this um, a lot of Afrofuturism in terms of visual Afrofuturism, not written Afrofuturism, because when you're dealing with written Afrofuturism. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Chip Delaney, Stephen Barnes, Tanarv Dew, yourself, you know, you guys got, we're pretty covered, you know. You know, you got black science fiction, you got steampunk, I mean, uh, uh, Milton Davis, uh, 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 all these guys write stuff, uh, Balagoon Adeteje, uh, I, I hope I didn't mispronounce his name. He's, you know, there are plenty of writers, black, of color, who cover us when it comes to black characters in fantasy science fiction environments. So Afrofuturism, mm-hmm. we're covered. Visual Afrofuturism, on the other hand, there, there, there are practitioners of it. And I don't know if mm-hmm. I would necessarily, even though there's an aspect of superhero that is Afrofuturism, you know, like definitely what Daoud uh, does with Brother Man. There's an element of Afrofuturism, but straight science fiction or sci fantasy. Uh, not a ton of people doing it. I know uh, Machindo does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Eugene, do, he does it. Uh, my 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 you know good friend Eric Wilkerson does it. A few other people, uh, black painters who are concept designers. When I'm saying that, I, 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 let, let me qualify what I mean. I mean someone who can take the same level of blending narrative design and product design that you might see in the equivalent of a movie and fusing those things together with the glue of Afrocentrism. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what visual Afrofuturism <clears throat> is to me. Yeah, there are plenty of fine artists out there who do elements. Of, of, of Afrofuturism, and that's fine. That's that's that aspect of it. You know, I don't. You know, there there's those who would debate. Well, this is Afrofuturism, and this is not Afrofuturism. Uh, the fact that Black people are alive is Afrofuturism. Uh, in mm-hmm. You know, but, uh, I'm talking about visual Afrofuturism within the context of of entertainment design and narrative design. Uh, that's something that that uh, you know the the the, the equivalent of of a of a visual Afrofuturist f- for say someone like Ralph McQuarrie would be a machine dog. Uh, 
because he is right. not just a great character designer. This cat is an amazing vehicle and 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 and, and tech designer. That's not easy to do. You know what I mean? That's not easy to do. It's 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 just as conceptual as any fine artist might do. But this guy's building this stuff in his head in a practical sense. So right. when James Eugene has his characters, which were clearly black and Afrocentric, but he's doing it in such a way where there are these floating interfaces around, and they have a deeper meaning. They could even be implied detail, just as I was talking. Mm-hmm. But he's adding a meaning on top of it. That's visual Afrofuturism. You can do it. You know, uh, uh, for me, I try my best. I don't know if I'm as good as those guys, but I try to do it within a context of uh, I actually use a lot of 3D in my work. So I'm a 3D model. I've been modeling since the 90s. So that's how I achieve my effect. And I guess I can talk a little bit more about how I create Maddie's Rocket, but it's it's achieving a certain realism in the work. Right. And actually, you know, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is when you write the story and, and you obviously have characters who look like us mm-hmm. because you're writing for us. But uh, let me let me ask you a little bit about your the, the telling of your stories mm-hmm. it, is one of the is one of the strategies or one of the focuses uh, for your storytelling to tell stories that have. A, a broad appeal, or do you feel that you're writing stories only for for people who have a racial affinity for the characters? Uh, the answer I give now would be very different than the answer I would have given, say, five years ago. Well, let's uh, talk about that. Five years ago, right, what right. were you thinking? Uh, I'm going to say this. Don't take this the wrong way. It's not important. Oh, no, 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 not at all. No, no. The reason why it's not important anymore is because my sons, 14 and 15 right now, will be 15 and 16, uh, and you're going to have an empty nest here in about another uh, three years. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, to get myself psychologically ready for that. But um, they, don't, uh, they don't go see movies anymore. They don't... Uh, Watch regular TV. It's like, Dad, did you pay the internet account? Did you pay? Is Xbox Gold right active? Uh, Dad, uh, is Netflix paid? That's and 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 that's just this aspect of it. So on the Xbox, their primary mode of accessing creative or or entertainment content comes through video games. Okay, but their primary mode of watching motion entertainment is through YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're reading comics, it's through web comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, one of my sons has an iPad. He reads comics on his iPad. So right. the way the, that generation consumes media is completely divorced from the way, you know, you and I, our generation is, you know, it's like we're in another universe. You know, Absolutely. These guys are so young, they don't even know what it's like to maybe the fringe of what it's like. Like, you remember when Nickelodeon used to have this dominance during the 90s? Right. You know, and it's not so dominant now. I mean, it's still there, but it's like 
that world is gone now. The world that exists now is the stream. And the mm-hmm, stream mm-hmm. is simply, and I was speaking with John Jennings about this the other day, the stream is essentially the data delivery systems. And that data delivery system is so powerful now that it can download still or moving images or audio images or still images in high resolution anywhere in the world at any time at the drop of a button, a touch of a button. And that is the world we live in now. And that world is not going away. We don't know Mm -hmm. what it's going to turn into in the final analysis. In fact, an argument could be made that it will continually change, uh, like uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Gordon, uh, the Gordon's Law. What's it? What's the with every every iteration of the CPU gets you know exponentially faster. More, you know, yeah, uh, more Moore's Law, yeah, yeah, M-O-R-R. yeah, Moore's, yeah, Moore's Law, yes, yeah, Moore's Law, uh, and uh, so it's the equivalent of that. So all of that to say that right now. Uh, it is more important for me to create material that is good. My audience is specifically my mother, my father, black women, black men, Mm -hmm. black boys, black girls, and just every other race after that. I know that that sounds like a cop-out, but it's true. It's true because we live in a world now Think about it. Scandal's big. How to Murder or whatever the show is is big. Empire is big. Socials are big because we exist in an environment now where CBS, NBC, ABC, none of them hold dominance anymore. Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Roku, uh, 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 CBS is now going to be streaming. Uh, uh, HBO is streaming, uh, and once those – clearly FX channel is going to have to stream. AMC is going to have to stream. Everybody has to stream because it's the way that data is delivered. Uh, well, and, 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 <clears throat> and, and let's be honest. Cable television has been – the cable television industry has been so abusive to its own customers that what they've done is they've driven customers away. You know, yes, some people, you know, yes, people get their internet through their cable, but you know, if, if they can drop the cable TV service and just keep the internet, uh, you know, these these guys are going to have to change up their business model. And, well, and that's I think what the I other do. thing that, yeah, and I think that's the thing that you said earlier was, you know, I think you're right about there being a constant evolution of digital delivery methods and products because that's where it's at. You know, um, I I was working with a marketing group about four years ago, and one of the things that I I really, really, really pushed them to think about is the fact that very, very soon, um, uh, because they were a black marketing company, Mm -hmm. uh, something like 80% of all black folks uh, very, very soon, uh, probably before 2020, 80% or higher are going to get all of their content through their mobile device, whatever that happens to be. Right. There's there's no question of that. Yeah, you ignore that at your peril. You know, if you're a business person, 
I, I can't ignore it. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why I intentionally, that's one of the uh-huh. reasons why I intentionally kept from, like I could have taken the panels from the animation of Maddie's Rocket and started chopping them, redoing them to make it more like a traditional comic book. But right. I was thinking, Tim, come on, man. You obviously <laughs> love animation. Why don't you keep that? Use it as, you know, Scott McCloud shows in his book as a mode of telling a story, right? Don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't turn away from it. It's a beautiful thing. Use it for right. what it is. It's beautiful. Use it to tell your story. It's like, yes, some people are not going to be able to get with it because they're used to having a standard way of, of the way you tell a comic book. That's, I get that. But right. there's going to be a segment of your audience that's going to buy in. You have to train your audience. I mean, comic books are an extension of the daily strips. What happened mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. people were getting, they would package them together and fold it, and that's how, they, that's how comic books came about. So new formats like the infinite canvas where you could just, you go on top and you just hit the down button. It just scrolls all the way up. Uh, Daniel Liskey and his uh, Worm World saga. I love that thing, you know. Uh, it, it's all infinite canvas work. So right. all, all of this is um, I, I'm telling stories that appeal specifically to my family and people in my community, but without a doubt, without a doubt, has the ability to spring into a more mainstream format. That is always my intention. I, I you know, I, 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 I love and 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 I'm also horrified by black people. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, that's just part of being black. You know, uh, but, you, you know, I, I, I love what we are, you know, and what we struggle for. At the same time, I love Raiders mm-hmm. of the Lost Ark. I'm sorry. Right. You know, right. And, and it's that it's that love and knowing that, you know, I have a deep affection for pulp storytelling, for action adventure. I have a love for um, science fiction. Sure. Uh, uh, those things, and, and and that's what I want my work to be. I want it to be that. You know, mm-hmm, I want mm-hmm. my work to be that. Uh, right. I will say this one thing though: where we are about to embark now, however, it's like I was saying about um, Paris Collins uh, saying that, "Hey, anything can sell." It's like every week over the last month, there's been a new announcement of a new comic book that's been optioned into a movie or a TV show. Right. And you have to ask yourself, and, I, and I've said it to several people, but I'll just say it now during this interview so it can be recorded and people can know, oh, this is what's going on. <laughs> and I have to tell my students this stuff all the time because, you know, you get young, you know, 20, early 20, mid-20 something film students, you know, and, and the New York Film Academy gets these kids, and they're in, they're just, it's just a factory. They're basically making movies from sunup to sundown. And right. they, don't, they, they work them so hard to learn uh, how to make movies that there's not as much time to learn things like film theory, you know, uh, which sure. should be of a plus and a minus, but that's what they do. But mm-hmm. more importantly... Uh, these kids are working so hard, they don't have as much time as they should to 
pay attention to what's going on in the industry. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, no problem. So what's happening now is with the stream, everybody can't – it's, it's like House of Cards. I love House of mm-hmm. Cards. But it's eventually going to end. Right. House of Cards can't go on for another two or three years. Beyond that, after a while, it's like, okay, he's already got pre- he's already president, so what happens next? <laughs> you know what right. I mean? So you, we can expect another, another two or three years. I binge watch House of Cards. Every time it comes out, I sit there, I start on a Friday, and by Saturday night, I have finished watching all th- 13 episodes of House of Cards. Sure. I'm not going to do that again. I do it one time. And so right. the problem becomes for Netflix is once that audience has binged on that, then you the audience moves on to something else. That's so true. Netflix is compelled just in order to survive to consistently produce new content. And this is mm-hmm. not just this is every broadcast entertainment outlet. BET although it's owned by Time Warner, has to consider streaming. Time Warner must consider streaming. Paramount, I was looking on a line today, and it was rumored that there will be a new Star Trek series. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But of course there has to be a new weekly Star Trek series because Paramount can't sustain not having, having a Star Trek movie every three years. They can't do it. You might have right. a Star Trek movie every three years, but you've got to have a Star Trek series going every week mm-hmm, to survive mm-hmm. in this market. It's why Disney bought Lucasfilm. It's why Disney bought Pixar. It's why Disney bought Marvel. They took up all the top-tier IPs. DC, well, which is owned by Warner, has their right. IPs. So that means that Valiant was purchased by DMG, uh, at least purchased, uh, they entered into a deal, $100 million. So now all of these people are getting these graphic novels, written books. Don't be surprised uh, if your book is purchased in a bit, you know, to make movies because there's not enough. There's there's too much airtime, empty space, too much competition. So they've got to start digging in areas. Four stories that have traditionally not been told. That's why I believe we're now about to culturally and creatively go to a new world in terms of black. Uh, well, I think and, you're uh, you're right. Black material. Because I, yeah, I think I think Afro the the Afrofuturism movement is about to see a lot more notice in mainstream yes. media than any other time and 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 basically the bottom line which AOL knows you know all of these big conglomerates time warner whatever is content is king you know you yes. have to have content that's because that's what you're selling um we're just about out of time here okay uh, uh, but i you know first of all it's very cool to have somebody like you here who has the experience that you have and to be able to tell people that um and and I want to thank you for being thank here you. because this, this well this has been a joy man I mean this has been easy this is um, I like it when it's easy for me um, okay. I'm I'm a neurotic I'm a neurotic over and underachiever at the same time 
Um, I will generally do something better than most people, but I'm going to put in the least amount of effort to get it done. <laughs> um, but but anyway, what I want to do is I want to thank you for being here. And, thank and, you oh, so much. The other thing is when you're going to go to any of these cons, and it sounds like you're, you kind of stick you know, to the ones in, in your area, but even even then, um, if you would go ahead and post up appearances where you're going to be at these conventions in the BSFS events calendar, you know, when, when somebody doesn't have something to do on the weekend and they want to they go look in the events calendar, they can see that you're there and maybe head over to where you are and you get to meet some of the people who, who are in, in your online neighborhood at blacksciencefictionsociety.com. So if you, if you can remember to do that, that would be great. Um, I, I will. I then, will do that. I will do that. That'd be cool. And then, um, other than that, man, I, you know, again, let us know when all of these milestones come up. You know, when you when you've got the uh, the second one come out, the second Maddie's rocket come out, mm-hmm. um, the the uh, the compendium of your artistic arc. You know, that's going to come out. Maybe what did you say? Maybe the end of this year or early next year. Uh well yeah Black Metropolis will be out in January that's the intention okay that's cool yeah so so definitely keep us posted on that we'll do and uh, I'm just gonna I'm waiting here to see if Jarvis is awake to see if he's gonna drop in and say his goodbyes mm-hmm. um oh yes there he is all right so uh, Jarvis go ahead and take us home <laughs> oh oh my bad. Right, right. I'm just kidding. How's it going, man? I hope hey, you man. had a good sleep. No, 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 I'm just playing. That was some excellent information, man, and I, I love the fact that we had a chance to get you back on. Um, I don't know if these guys know, but you're old school. This man has been on the site probably about five years now. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, he did one of our, our first logos when we first got started, and one of them is still on the left-hand side of the site. It's black and white, and it's animated. It was some awesome work. And That's robot head. Yeah, yeah, man, I love it. I still got all of those um, graphics, and I used, I used all of them at different points to, mm-hmm. to keep the site fresh. Mm-hmm. But I had an opportunity to physically meet Tim last year. I, at least I think it was Tim last year at Eggback. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was me. That was me. That was me. And and that's one of the things I love about those events, man. We get to meet um meet each other in person and, and, and get to know each other and and just catch each other in our own element and, and support black science fiction in as a whole. But the information that um that you shared with us tonight, man, is completely invaluable. Um you have that first hand experience with the big companies, Marvel and some of those other things. So I really am glad that you came on and, and shared your views and your experience with us because we need to hear this stuff so that we can continue to grow, um, grow black science fiction, get better, and continue to, to make more. Okay. And so with sure. that, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, uh got a whole lot more to say. And and to do so, I hope to be back with you guys eventually. Okay, cool, cool, and thanks, Will, for making it entertaining as always. Thanks a lot, William. Thanks a lot, man. And everyone, <laughs> my pleasure. Everyone that participated, whether you shared it online, um, whether you are listening or you're going to listen, thank you 
for uh, taking your time out to tune in to the show. And I just want to encourage everybody to get get active on the site, share what you're doing, share your work, uh, any events that you run across, and just share the site with other people so we can continue to grow this thing. It's getting bigger and starting to snowball. I'm, I'm excited about uh, the Maddish Rocket, the new project. Um, I've been familiar with the, the online project for a long time. One quick question, uh, Tim. Mm-hmm. Is it is it a possibility for you to ever take the uh, existing Maddish Rocket and put it all together as one, like, DVD or something? Uh, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> and it's, like, it's like, man, I thought the show was over. <laughs> no, uh, uh, it's, I have so much animation that's been done, but in order to produce it, I was jumping around. So I would say there's probably about between 10 to 15 minutes that can play back to back. But then once I got into the 20 minute area, it's like, it's just snippets. So it's something that I will probably eventually go back to, Mm -hmm. but I'm in no hurry right now. I love doing comics. It's so much easier. (laughs) You get feedback so much quicker and it, it still looks exactly the same. And, and uh, you know, you don't have bad motion distracting anyone from the story. And, uh, uh, and you know, that'll be it. Uh, and uh, that's, that's, that's what I love about it. Oh, and by the way, Lightning Source is a great printing facility for people oh, yeah. online. But I forgot to mention that part. But, but anyway, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure talking with you guys. Yeah, that, that's who we use. And I hope to see you at uh, one of these events this year. Yep. All right. Okay, cool. Um, Will, um, I don't know if you're going to stick around for a few minutes after we start recording in about 20 seconds. Um, but if you if you like, you can stick around for a few more minutes and share anything else off the air, but I'm going to have to cut it short right now. Okay. Thank you thank again, you. everybody, for participating. It's been a great show. Um, thank you so much. All right. Good night. Okay. Good night. All right. Peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.